The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome, to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave, and be fearless, let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. I am joined today with Chris Murphy, Chief Client Officer of Kantar North America, and Chris Hull, Senior Vice President of Kantar North America, focused on brand guidance. Welcome, guys. Time to welcome this week's Data Guru. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you guys are have been busy. I know recently you just announced in a press release that you have received the accreditation for the Marketing Accountability Standards Board, which we'll call MASB for the rest of the podcast. Tell us what that means. Sure. This is Chris Murphy. Just to start, some folks listening in might not be familiar with MASB. It stands for the, the Marketing Accountability Standards Board. But for those of you who are unaware of them, it's an organization of a lot of blue chip marketers, measurement providers, consulting firms, industry associations, a lot of academic luminaries that probably wrote half the textbook. If you look at their expressed mission statement, I think that the key phrase in there is we're establishing marketing measurement and accountability standards. So it's kind of there in the title, but a key part of, of what they do, there's a division of MASB called the, performs what is called the Marketing Metric Audit Protocol or MMAP. So they provide objective third-party audits of marketing metrics. And that's the protocol to which we subjected the Meaningfully Different Framework, which is Miller Brown's kind of core equity assessment engine. So if I could translate that, or if I understand appropriately, basically the offerings that you provide your clients, the methodology essentially has been certified to say that it's the right metric to link to financial performance. Yeah, that is very important in our industry because, as you know, we do struggle industrially to uh, to gain alignment just on the principles of brand growth and measurement. And it's very common for us to hear clients say, hey, I really need to be able to connect equity to in-market outcomes. So we thought it was really important, again, subject you know our kind of core equity assessment tool to the rigors of a third-party audit. And yeah, we're just delighted with the outcome and starting to spread the word about it. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, you can actually say this directly correlates to return on investment in terms of the research and how it impacts a company's performance. Exactly. So so tell us a little bit more about, you know, you guys deal with these trackers and have been known for measuring brand performance. What are the things that really matter when you think about balancing the short-term versus the long-term needs of tracking? This is Chris Hall, the other Chris. There are several things. One of the key things that we have found in, in the work that we've done in going through the, the massive process and our own in, internal R&D is that if you stay at a very aggregated level, if you just look at general equity trends and general sales trends, there is a lot of noise and it is very hard to find really good, strong, direct relationships between how people perceive you and how they buy you. But what we have also found is that when you break that down a bit and you look at sales as as a combination of, of long-term base trends and then short-term, what we have found is there are certain things that we identify or that we collect in tracking that have relationships with either one of those. For example, we, we know that short-term volume, short-term sales is often very much in 
influenced by promotional activity or media weight and media activity that is driving unaided awareness or, or some traditional funnel metrics that tend to give you a good sense of what's moving in the short term and how people are responding to, to in-market activation in, in kind of the present time. A lot of the other metrics that are perhaps some of the, the standard kind of equity KPIs, in our case, a, a measure called brand power, is a bit of a longer term view of, of how people perceive the brand overall and it's, and it's kind of its power of attraction. And those things have a much stronger relationship with long-term base sales trends. And so what we try to do with, with our programs is, is structure things where we're giving you signals that are indicative of what's going to happen in the short term, as well as keep an eye on things that are going on in the long term. So a brand can take a very balanced view of, of how to drive what they need to do now and what they need to do to make sure that what they do now isn't in some way or another sacrificing what they want to try to do to, to build the brand for the long term. There's also kind of a pragmatic side to that question as well, which is if we look at the way a lot of marketing leaders are compensated, you still see a lot of folks being you know, primarily compensated on the basis of short-term performance. And you know, only about, according to our latest surveys of the executives, only about half include any type of long-term equity gauge in their variable compensation. So I think it is important for them to have the confidence that you know, the long-term equity metrics can indeed tie out to, to, to end market outcome. Yeah. Both of you guys have been on the client side and have played that role in terms of managing, understanding where a brand's short-term performance is versus managing the long-term brand equity. Can you talk to us a little bit of some of the challenges that you've had from a client perspective? Absolutely. I think one of the classic challenges as a, as a brand manager is if you're wanting to build a brand out as a, as a premium brand that, that commands a, a true price premium in the market, but at the same time, you recognize, especially in really challenging economic environments, that one of your best ways to, to drive short-term sales volume is promoting the heck out of it with temporary price reductions and, and things like that. A constant tug of war in a brand manager's mind, I think, about what I need to do to make my numbers. To Chris's point, I'm often comped, I'm often promoted or exited based on, on performance in a three-month, six-month, 12-month period. But am I doing that in a way that is not in some way or another impeding my ability to do what is really going to help drive the, the brand in the long term toward what the brand wants to stand for as a premium brand, as a brand that people should and want to pay more for because it's delivering greater value. And that's just one example of, I think, that tug of war that, that happens between what I need to do to deliver the short-term financial results, especially for publicly traded companies that are reporting them on a quarterly basis versus why I need to build it for the long haul. Everyone wants to do both. And it's a matter of figuring out how to strike that right balance. Yeah. The thing to keep in mind, too, is you know, long-term perceptual ownership, you know, really carving out a, a distinct kind of mind space for your brand, that requires strategic patience. And then you couple that with just the surfeit of brands you know, that are competing for that mind space and, and the plethora of media vehicles that are out. It's just, it's tough. We've got some, some numbers that show just in the last 10 years, you know, there are actually 30% more brands that, that are competing, you know, uh, for, for our headspace that, than there were in 2008. However, if you go in and just look at our, uh, you know, responses at unaided awareness sequences, things like that, that would you know, very quickly suggest that supply has quite literally outstripped cognitive capacity. So it's, yeah, it's tough to build long-term perceptual ownership in that environment. I'm sorry, you said 30% more brands? Uh -huh. Wow, that's, that's a lot. And in this mm -hmm. time when we are completely on technology platforms and everything else, there's a lot of lot of noise and uh, you know, fight for attention. Absolutely. You know, we, we've got data that indicates, you know, how much more 
how many more brands you're exposed to, how many more ways they're reaching out to you with with digital and and things like that. You know, we we know that you know there are 481,000 tweets sent every minute, and a lot of those are promoted tweets, and and people are inundated with messages. And and in that cluttered environment, really good strong branding is probably more important than ever because it builds those associations in someone's mind where that brand stay is relevant in an increasingly competitive environment and increasingly fragmented environment. Brand building is is both more critical than ever and probably harder to do well because of all of the distractions and all all of the potential ways that consumers can be even overwhelmed with information. That makes perfect sense. And I know the other challenge that as researchers we deal with is just the ability to deliver this information in a timely manner. So clients can make the decisions in the moment in a responsive way to impact Mm -hmm. short-term sales as well as long-term decisions. How do you guys deal with that, the speed component? There are a couple of things that, that we try to work to do that. One is just having smarter design with, with the programs you're using to measure brand health on an ongoing basis. I think the days of, of continuous tracking of a 25 or 30 minute questionnaire are, are, are really over um, or they're, they're nearing extinction simply because you can't hold someone's attention and get quality data for that period of time. And so what we've started to do much more of is, is adopting this approach of having a much thinner spine that collects really only the measures that, that matter in terms of, for example, as we, as we talked earlier, driving short-term and long-term, providing some signals of both, and then having everything else be more modularized. The, the other key enabler is really automation, and it's being able to not just automate things like scripting and tabulation and, and reporting, but also being able to use AI and things like that to to automate standard senior or higher level analytics so that you can get from the raw data, if you like, to model data to better projections of what of what future behaviors are going to be, what what the underlying trends are, the key drivers of of perceptions and things like that faster so that we can get things back to businesses at the speed with which they're they're taking decisions. So it's a combination of better design and leveraging automation and, and AI wherever possible. And I think you mentioned before that there's this is the evolution of brand tracking to brand guidance. Can you talk a little bit about that? Do you guys become more consultative in terms of what to do with the information and what decisions a client should take, automate a lot of the kind of the processes? Yeah, same. I think one of the things that tracking as a craft has been appropriately criticized for is, is its penchant to hindsight. You might recall the, the Boston Consulting Group piece that was published back in 2010 that classified different client-side insights and analytics groups on a, on a continuum and talked about hindsight, insight, foresight. I think a, a lot of tracking work is particularly prone to hindsight. What we've really tried to do with our brand guidance system is to turn that conversation to one uh, more foresight. So the summary metrics are more reflective of the moment and anticipatory of where brands are headed. The, the potential metric, which is one of the things that got assessed by, by Masby, is actually a probability of future growth. As Chris was starting to lose a lot of the, the modeling that we do is more predictive in nature. That is, you know, hey, if you are able to improve on you know, this or that dimension, you know, here's the impact on brand power. Here's the impact on market share. So again, trying to take the analytics to, to a much more predictive space of foresight. Absolutely. Even add beyond predictive to, to prescriptive. If, if we have a sense of understanding all of these data within the context of what the brands are doing in market, whether it's their mix of digital and traditional media or promotional activity or sponsorship or word of mouth, we can give clients better advice on what to do to change the outcome. I don't think it's any longer is it good enough for you to say that you need to improve on attribute A in order to drive 
a change in, in an equity measure and ultimately in, in a share. It, here's what you need to do in order to do that effectively based on what we know in terms of the, the sensitivity of the different things you're doing in the market and their impact on brand perception and, and brand behavior. And that's really what we want to try to get to, certainly to your, to your question around trying to be more consultative. We want to spend more of our time thinking about what the brand needs to do differently and less of our time scrubbing data and, sure. and going through all those things that automation beyond giving us speed gives our teams headspace to be thinking about the business more so than the research itself. When we conclude our presentations and make our recommendations, mm -hmm. those sentences need to end with things like, and here is the financial impact. It's not allowable anymore, I think, in our profession for, for folks like us to, to turn up in the boardroom and say, oh, you, you need to drive perception of trust. Well, Hey, that's great, <laughs> but that's not terribly helpful, right? So it's like, you know, specifically, you know, what dimensions drive trust, what media vehicles are going to be most effective, right? and then if I do it, what is that worth to me? We, we have to be able to spell those things out to be a value. Yeah, and I think it's a process, right? Because you have different types of people who traditionally process and are very much in the kind of the mechanics of putting the data together. And then you move towards a more consultative approach where you train those people and you also bring in a mix of different people. Is that mm -hmm. your experience as well? Absolutely. You know, there are folks who are fantastic at the execution of, of a brand measurement program, a, a tracker, or as we like to say, a, a brand guidance system. But for us to do what we need to do and to deliver the value that our clients are increasingly demanding, we need to know as much about marketing and about brand building as we do about brand measurement. And that can sometimes be done by upskilling. Sometimes it does require a different mix of skill sets and, and bringing people in who have had more direct marketing experience, for example, or have perhaps been insights folks who have been client side who have been working on the application of the learning to the business more more closely. So it's a combination of both. You really have to have both. It has to be underpinned by really, really solid design, but you have to be able to put it in that commercial context more effectively for it to really generate the value that, that our clients need and, and honestly that they deserve for the amount of money that they're spending. Chris and Chris, I really appreciate you guys being on the show today, and I look forward to keeping in touch and hearing how things progress. And congratulations on the certification. Thank you. Thank so you very much. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.